Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human contact was so much owed by so many can so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. Have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality. It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvellous. Your hosts, Boo and Sean. Welcome back, everyone. So glad to have you here on another episode of The Few. As you can tell, the studio is being held together today by uh, chewing gum and sticky tape as uh, Sean and I come to you live from the south coast of New South Wales uh, on my farm, uh, which is very nice of you, Sean, to travel all the way down from Queensland so I could uh, feed the chickens this morning. <laughs> Very kind. No, it's a great. It was a beautiful, beautiful drive to <laughs> down to the south coast this morning, and uh, uh, yes, as you said, there's a few things with sticky tape and things like that are holding us together. But um, uh, clearly, my background's not the usual caliber. But uh, look, it's a little bit like New Zealand, isn't it? When you drive down here, you notice it's like it's it's very green, it's very lush, lots of vibrant, happy people as you uh, come down here on to the south coast. Which is probably not a bad segue into our guest for today's podcast, Lisa O'Neill. Lisa is joining us all the way from New Zealand, looking bright and chirpy. The queen of the juggle is going to talk to us today about living your best life, finding happiness and contentment, everything you do. Lisa! Thanks so much for joining me and Sean today on The Few. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And as they say, Lisa, thanks for being had. We, uh, no, it's great to have you back. Uh, it was awesome to uh, to have the experience of uh, you know introducing you to uh, the members of my inner circle group uh, last year uh, and have you, uh, I think, in the midst of all the COVID stuff, you know, but uh, I believe that Lisa may be a little bit over COVID, perhaps. A little bit over COVID. I'm just sick of it. It's an excuse now. Um, and I'm sick of it. I'm not really good with excuses. And I'm like, people were just using it now as an opportunity to whinge. And, you know, it's like life's always, you've always had to make the best of what you got, right? And now it's just, you've got to be, and, you know, there's all those shitty words like pivot and agile and all that crap. Um, but you just got to be a little bit smart and you've just got to work around it. And life's about working around stuff because there's always going to be something, a COVID, there's always going to be some kind of pandemic going on in your world, you know? And, and how important, Lisa, is it to have a sense of humour while all this is going on? Oh, I know. I actually found, I got excited when COVID happened. I was like, <laughs> the opportunities in this are mind-blowing. And my husband was like, oh, my God, it's too soon, you know. Um, but I was are like, we going to have all the kids at home? opportunities in this. There's opportunities for businesses. I know businesses who have tripled, you know, in this time. And I know people that have developed skills they would never have developed before there's there's so much good shit in this and everyone just wants to talk about vaccines and you know what you can't do and I'm like oh shut up <laughs> I think one of the things that uh we probably didn't need to reinforce was that it's really uncomfortable having a stick shoved up your nose yeah I know right I was said to my kids I took my kids for a COVID test. They're like, oh, dad, that's really uncomfortable. It's like, look, six years ago, you stuck all sorts of stuff up your nose and it was no issues. Just remember, you're, this is a learned belief. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Lise, 
So, Lisa, you're, um, you know, you're, you're, as we've talked about before and, and uh, having, as I said, had the opportunity to work with you before, uh, you know, one of your passions is about helping people to, to you know, live happy lives, live, do what they love to do. And, I mean, that's the nature of the concept of the few and the few podcast is about uh, people actually living uh, the, the life that they want to and the life that they choose and, and enjoying it and being passionate about it. And uh, I know that yeah, from from the last time we saw you, your, your energy is 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 uh, is um, it rubs off and it and it really lifted our our entire group and a lot of people have taken some of that philosophy away. Where did that philosophy for you come from? You know, you're 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 quite you know looking at the glasses probably three quarters full, not even half full by the, by the sounds of it. Where did that develop for you? Yeah, well, I was marinated in self-belief by my father, so I was really lucky. And my father is is extraordinary in that he's just so, he was into the power of the mind in the 70s and all the stuff, you know. So he was like, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. And so there was all that sort of stuff that I was kind of, and I was really, really lucky that I was raised by a father who just said, you can be anything, you can do anything, you're you're limitless. Like, don't ever let anyone tell you you can't do something. And, and so I just, and then I got to school and they said, oh, you can't do that anymore. I was like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not sure you know who I am. <laughs> My father said, I can do what I want. Um, and I've got a little bit of oppositional defiance where I just get really revved up when someone says I can't do something. So the word can't just, oh, it just like petrol on a fire. Um, but I think I just really have always understood what a privilege it is to be alive. It's such a privilege. People talk about privilege all the time. And I'm like, if you have a heartbeat, you have a privilege. Like, and don't waste it. I get really pissed off watching people just walking around absorbing oxygen and not achieving anything. I'm like, why are you here? Like, what is the point of you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> How are you helping the world right now? Except you're just robbing oxygen off the rest of us. So Lisa, why why is it so hard for people to think that way though? Like we we know that this is how we should think yet people get so caught up it's all conditioning i think they get conditioned from a really early age most people like i had a really different experience obviously than a lot of people from the age of one we're told you're wrong you can't do this that's not acceptable you're not okay you're not good enough that's naughty you must do this that's normally because you're you're shitting on the carpet which even when you're an adult, it's not acceptable. Apparently, no, no, not ideal. But, you know, and there are things that we do that are wrong, but it's like this constant limit where we get, I really love um, Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements, and he's written, everyone talks about The Four Agreements because it's a really well-known book, but he's written about another six that are extraordinary, and he talks about cushioning humans, and I just, it's, it's so fear-based, and it's all about keeping everyone small and controlling everyone in the family and and so in that complete extreme of my father my mother spent her whole life saying don't draw attention to yourself who do you think you are sit down and be quiet and I was like whoa like it was quite a mind-blowing experience to have those two alternate universes happening in my own lounge um yeah, my father was like, go, go, be amazing. And my mother was like, you sit down, behave yourself. And I was like, oh, like, oh. <laughs> and so I, I constantly surfed this line of which one should I do? And I do suffer from kind of good girl syndrome where I, I, I was born a people pleaser. So I quite like, you know, I've spent the first 30 years of my life going, please like me. And now I'm like, like, I don't care. Turning 50 helps. <laughs> Turning 50 really helps with people pleasing. Can I tell you? But, um, yeah, I did have a big people-pleasing gland in my early days. So, Lisa, you're, you you live a very uh, 
busy life. You you have a lot of challenges. One of the one of the interesting things for Sean and I, if we have a female guest, is like, man, we are going to get out of our depth real quick here uh, because we're going to be talking about stuff we've got no idea about, like what it must be like trying to nurture four children at a maternal instinct through life and achieve a career, maintaining that self-worth and all the challenges that women have that Sean and I just don't have to worry about. Uh, How do you do it? My superpower is I look like a woman and I think like a man. So, um, I, that's my superpower. And so that's the best way to have that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Do you reckon? Yeah. I think the other way could be a little bit extreme. But um, the, the, the interesting thing is, I have a real um, detachment from my children. So, a lot of mothers, I had this woman talking to this woman yesterday, so attached to their children. Like their children are their everything. Their children, they're literally still attached to them. Um, and they have this whole, like, I am a reflection of my children. The, you know, the quality of my children's life is a direct reflection on me I'm like nah like nah my job I bought you in I grew you I bought you into the world I taught you everything I know off you hop and and so now I go if you you know if you want to stuff up your life knock yourself out because that's your business right um and I think that's probably helpful I don't have I don't run around after my kids and I don't sort of have this massive attachment to their outcomes my job is to give them the best platform ever um and then it's up to them and if they fuck it up, that's not my problem, actually. Which um, is a refreshing brew. And I said that to my oldest son. My oldest son went through a bit of a phase where he was giving that a shot. And I said, look, if you know, if you want to ruin your life, good for you. Because um, I, no one's going to judge me. I've got three spears. They're all going to go, oh, well, what's wrong with him? Because the other three turned out fine. You know, so I'm um, and, and it's your choice. And I think and people need to be made responsible for their lives, especially children. And one of the biggest problems is you've got adults still taking responsibility for their 30-year-old children, paying their bills, running around after them, fixing their shit. I'm like, no, you're not helping. You're enabling. And, yeah, so I'm, my kids have all grown up pretty pretty fast and pretty hard, um, you know. I remember my daughter saying to me, I don't like you going away. And I was like, you know what? Suck it up. Some people's parents are in Afghanistan. Like I'm just in a five-star hotel. <laughs> there's, there's worse problems in the world. And I think we let these children be really indulgent. And mothers particularly suffer badly from guilt. Oh, if I work, I'm a bad person. No, you're not. You're like showing I really love, I think it was Sting who interviewed. They said to him, do you think you're a great father? And he said, well, if you're counting whether I, you know, tuck them into bed at night, read them stories and help them clean their teeth, I'm a shit father. But if you talk about being a role model for what an extraordinary life looks like, I'm an amazing father. So I like the fact that my two daughters get to see a house where I do what I want, I work, and that's okay. Um, and my sons go, oh, okay, wow. So that's a thing, you know, because they think it's normal because that's all they've ever had. How do you be a role model to children uh, as a couple, as relationships? You, you obviously met your husband very early on. You're one of the few in that you've sustained the children coming through the eat, sleep and shit phase and find happiness. Like you're, where you are right now is actually quite 
a rare commodity you haven't had to sacrifice family for a career you've managed to hold it all together yeah and that's not easy like that's not easy but I think the point Mark and I have nothing in common which is really useful um because we don't take anything for granted so everything I like he doesn't everything he likes I don't so we're constantly having to check in with each other we don't assume anything because I don't like any of the stuff he likes even food like we don't have anything in common we have the same address and the same names of our children um but we're an extraordinary team because um what I'm shit at he's great at and what I'm great at he's shit at and we're really clear about that and we don't really have gender roles as I say I've worked through all of my children um their, through all of their lives and Mark's done so I did the first sort of 10 years of kids at home as and took the took the the lead um Mark's taken the lead for the last 10 years I was like you know what I've done enough I reckon you you're in tag. Um, and he's really good at it. He's way better. He's calmer. He's consistent. He's organized. I'm in chaos. Um, so the kids notice, you know, they're like, oh God, it's so much easier when you're not here, mum. Because I just blow the house apart with chaos. Um, yeah. So, and I think the point is Mark and I contribute to each other's lives. So we go, I go, I'm here to make your life better. You're here to make my life better. And we're a team that's, we're literally a business. We're just partners that are running a small company. And do you have to consciously think about that or does it happen naturally? Do you have to sort of pull yourself up and go, oh, I've got to lean into this now. I've got to, I've got to give a little bit more. Do, do you have sort of rituals or? Yeah, I think sometimes there's a bit of, you know, it's like, hang on, who's, who's the giver and who's the taker here? So I think there's a little bit of, I'm really into, I have meetings with myself twice a week where I literally go, cool. Out of 10, how am I feeling about Mark? <laughs> what can I do about that? Um, and I'm actually checking in because I think you've got to check in. And because I have so much chaos and I have so many people in my world, I literally have to check in with, hang on, what's going on and what's really going on? Because I think it's really easy to get absent-minded. And you hear it all the time. Um, and unfortunately, especially for men, where they just get up, go to work, get up, go to work. They wake up four years later and they're like, what do you mean you don't like me? <laughs> you haven't bothered to check in that their wife now hates them, their children think he's a dick. Um, and they, they just, not even the dog wants to talk to them. And they just haven't checked in and been conscious. And I think that's really important because to me, people are everything. You know, that's the people over everything all the time. And is that the, is that the people pleaser in you though? Part, part of that and being selfless? And yeah, I think so. But I just think honouring people, honouring people in your, like I either have people in my life I honour or I get rid of them. I'm really ruthless. I have, um, pr I'm pretty ruthless with people. If they're not adding value, out you go. Um, Cause I haven't got time. I think there's not, not enough people, Lisa, that, that follow that, uh, maybe not to that level of, you know, black and white necessarily but some people don't follow it all they they oh i've known them for 20 years so i should keep them in my life but they're like an anchor you know yeah and it's like they're not even a friend they're someone you used to know there's someone you used to have something in common with and it's like that and my question is always i reckon everyone in your world contributes or contaminates and i say to my teenage son you're contaminating my world right now brother so what's going on this is this isn't working mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. And I'm going, and it's not your fault because you're in a phase and I get it, but I can't actually be bothered. So just take yourself away. And, and I think I'm really like, I'm really clear um, in how I'm feeling with people. I'm pretty straight up. Like you are pissing me off. Get away. Um, and I think, and I don't think enough people are honest like that. 
and not honest enough with their kids. Like, just don't be a dick. Like I said to my daughter the other day, I'm like, you might be the cleverest, most educated human on the planet or heading towards that way. But if you're a bitch, no one wants to work with you. So fix yourself up, you know, like, and, and people need to hear that because otherwise they turn up in the workplace and then you're like, wow, who was your parent? Like, who did no one tell you you're a dick? Like, I think it's our job and it's, it's our job to build them up, but it's also our job to keep it real and go, okay, so outside of this house, that's not going to work. What are you doing right now? That, that behavior, not okay. That clarity is um, really important. And it's interesting because I don't think we've really spoken about that clarity in decision-making in family life or in life in general, right? But I think if you, well, you, you can test this theory, I guess, if you give people clarity and they understand where they sit with you, their own decision making, there you give them the the right to make a decision for themselves. Whereas if it's ambiguous and you never do anything wrong and you get love all the time and oh my, my and you my, can't learn. Yeah. You can't learn. Like until someone goes, mate, you're being a four out of ten right now. You go, am I? And it's how you bring awareness. Um, I think. And my um eldest son, he had no awareness of the impact his behaviour had on people. And so we had a numbering system. And I just walk past him and go four, and he either was too down, too low, or too up. And I was like, 11, he was like, oh, okay. So he knew that if he was at 11, he had to pull it back. We, eight was the optimum. Um, four meant try harder. Um, 11 meant pull back. Um, so just learn to, you know, like he's, re- he's really full on and he couldn't see that. And I see that in humans all the time where I go, you don't have any awareness of the impact you're having. And, I, and we need people to tell us. Like I, I'm caught up with a friend about six months ago. I was really grumpy, really grumpy, caught up with this mate. Actually, it was more than six months, must have been a year ago. And I met him and I and he was like, How are you? And I went, blah, blah, blah. and he went, Wow, you're being such a bitch. And I went, Am I? <laughs> to me, I was being a bitch. Like I was just, I had this little rant, like he said, How are you? And I went, blah, 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 blah. and he went, Oh, yuck, you're being a real bitch right now. And I went, am, am I? And he went, Oh my God, you are awful. And I went, Oh, thanks. That's great feedback. Because I know not many people are brave enough to say that to me. And I was like, that's awesome feedback. He said, are you tired or what's going on? He said, because you're just awful. I went, oh. Uh, and you absolutely do. I mean, it's that thing of, you know, when someone's got something in their teeth, how many people will not tell that person because it makes them uncomfortable. And and then when you see, you see it in a bigger context, those shows like, uh, um, you know, uh, American Idol and, and Australian Idol, those singing shows where someone gets on and they, they belt it out and they just basically say, you're shit. And like, all my family and friends say I'm good, so I must be good. And you're like, oh, no, you're actually shit because they haven't told you you're actually shit. Exactly. They're not getting real feedback. And I quite often go to people, are you okay? Because you feel a bit off. And they go, oh, actually, I am off. And one, I think it's nice people notice. And two, you don't have to go there. You don't have to say why are you off or tell me. It, it, but just I think being noticed is really important. And I think sometimes we don't notice our own behavior. And it's good to surround yourself with people who will call you on your shit. I think. Sounds like a great idea for an app, the Human Score app. And uh, you can wander in and here's my $4 for my smoothie and you're a three. Dunk. I think there was a movie about that. There was actually a movie where they had positive or negative points being allocated based on human interactions. There was a movie about that. I can't remember what it was, but... Yeah, it's a bit, uh, a bit interesting. Well, we just had a holiday um, with my four children and two of them have partners now. So now, so there was eight of us. And um, at the end of it, we were like, we all sat down and did a review and went, right, what rating do you give everyone out of 10 for their behaviour for the last <laughs> days? 
and um, it was hilarious because we had, you know, my daughter um, rating my son's girlfriend. <laughs> there was all kinds of stuff. Like, yeah, I don't know, you know, she could have tried harder, maybe. Like, so we were doing this whole rating thing of what do you reckon? And, and my son's boyfriend, who had just met for the first time, and we were all like, we all, we all thought he was extraordinary. Like, he met us, and it's not easy meeting all of us, and he just held his own so differently. We were like, yeah, we reckon, we reckon he can have a solid night. So, 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 so with, with, your, with your kids' partners meeting the family, do they tend to go through a few partners after the, that sort of experience? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we're only very new. They're only quite new. At this. We're, they're only 20 to 19, so we haven't had, been through lots of that. I'll let you know. If it... Did you mention that to them as well and say, statistically, uh, you're not going to be here in a year, so take this feedback and hopefully enhance? <laughs> mm. Not enough people are doing it because they're just tolerating people's shit, I think, too much. Yeah, and I always say to people when I work with clients, I always say, you know, if I do something you don't like, please tell me. If I do something you do like, please tell everyone else. Because I don't need people coming up to me going, oh, it was amazing. I'm like, yeah, cool, awesome. That's not helpful. So uh, tell other people I was amazing because then I'll get more work. That's a good idea. And if I did something wrong, don't ring five people and go, well, you won't believe what bloody Lisa and Neil did. I said, tell me. Because people don't tell you what you did that was wrong and they do tell others and th- it's really wrong and it's people are, you know, not strong enough to, to do that. And I think actually going, hey, mate, I've got some feedback. I love this, but I hated that. Yeah. yeah it's an absolute disservice for anyone. Like, you know, I've had that same thing with one of the professionals I deal with that I prefer a client to. That client's taken 12 months uh, and just about to leave before they actually mentioned to me that they're having a problem with the person I referred them to. And I was like, What? And they didn't even tell them. And I'm like, well, but so half the problem is, is, is yes, some of the things you didn't, didn't do what they asked you to do, but you've also not given them the opportunity to go, oh crap, we didn't live up to our standard. We need to lift the game. So obviously you talked about a lot of other people. I know that uh, in, uh, in our last uh, interaction, you, fo- you then shifted a bit of focus uh, into ourselves and how to actually um, take care of ourselves and, and some strategies around doing that to allow ourselves to be happier so so what are the strategies and some of the uh the you know the techniques and and things that, and i guess things that you've done uh like going away when your kids didn't want you to but i think that was the reason why you were going away was because of your kids wasn't it so you can have a bit of space um you know well what are some of the strategies that you that you suggest people use to 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 give themselves something and and we're not trained to notice what makes us happy we're trained to notice what makes other people happy so we're constantly checking around everyone going, Mama, can you have it? Oh, yeah. Is the school teacher pissed off at me at the moment? You know, is my boyfriend angry with me? Is my sister talking to me? We're always looking for feedback, but we're not actually going, do I like this? Do I like that? How do I feel? And, you know, even, and I say to people, if you're new to this, start with, you know, hey, do you want a coffee? Um, do I want a coffee? Do I want a coffee? Maybe I want a tea. Maybe I want a hot chocolate. What do you want? Don't just go, yeah, I'll have a coffee because that was the first word offered. Really think about what do I feel like right now? What do I feel like right now? Um, and, you know, what what makes you happy? Like, what is it that when, and notice when suddenly you have to go, oh, I'm like so happy right now. What, what is happening right now around me that is making me so happy? Is it because I'm outside? Is it because I'm with this person? Is it because I just sold something and that gives me a high? Is it because I slept really well last night? go back from the moment you feel really happy, work out what's going on and just get more of that. So if it was sleep, if it was sales, if it was what, do more of what, what you notice makes you feel good. What about the different types of happy, Lisa? What about the quick fix happy or the bottom of uh, eight beers happy versus that deep seated 
contentment and happiness. Yeah, and I think all that comes at different times, right? Because you can be out doing that, you know, eight beers deep going, I am sorry right now, I'm going to hate myself tomorrow, but that's okay because you're having a really great moment. And um, and I think that's fine. And people say, oh, you know, he shouldn't be drinking right now. I'm like, no, he's so happy. Does it matter? Like, so what? And I think people, was, we're so judgmental about people that make themselves happy um and yeah I don't know I think you've got to just do do you and I think sometimes you've got to give up short-term things to get long-term happiness which is pretty boring I'm a major hedonist so I'm constantly looking for pleasurable moments like everything I wear makes me feel good everything I eat makes me feel good I'm a real um I'm, I'm obsessed with like even pens like I, I just go I'm not writing with you you are not worth my life and I've like I'm really particular about shit so I have you know everything I use in my house is beautiful I don't save anything I drink out of the best crystal or the best china because it makes me feel good and so I'm like I'm not drinking out of that cup my kids go oh my god and I'm like no I'm just not because that cup is just not friendly enough. I don't feel good when I go to that part. So I take it kind of quite a high level. And even fabrics, like clothing is really important to me. And I, I go, oh, I want to wear that. And, and oh, I want that color. Or, you know, get really, rather than just, there's a difference between getting dressed and just covering your body, right? Like covering your body's the law, that you have to cover your body. Um, Very silly law. <laughs> So covering your body is, is important, but it's like, how do you feel when you wear stuff? And I know people that people apologize when they turn on, oh, don't look at me. I'm like, do not leave the house if you have to apologize for how you look. Just stay home. <laughs> you know, I'm like, you're just making the world ugly. So, yeah, I think um, just get really clear. And people don't know what they like because they haven't. I've done a PhD. I, my PhD, I call it a personal happiness Um and I, I, for me, my PhD is all about what makes me happy. Everything from, you know, what I wear, what I eat, what I do, who I hang out with. And then I'm like, mm, it doesn't make me happy. I'm out. So what do you, what do you say to the people, the other school who's like, uh, it, it was hard and sacrifice and everything's difficult. And you're a, you should be a, you've lived a fulfilling life. If you've struggled and conquered all of that difficulty, what do you say to that camp? Yeah, I just say good luck. I'm like, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And because the key word you use in there is should. And so when you're shooting all over yourself, um, it's like, oh, I should go for a run. I'm like, do you want to? Like, do you want to go for a run? Because if you want, I, I don't do running. I'm sure if you wanted to go for a run and you love running, you would go, yeah, amazing. I've never had that experience myself, but I'm, I have heard other people have it. And so I'm like, if that, but not, don't run. I always see miserable runners and I feel like they're running because they should. You know, it's like, there's no way to spend your life. Like I just, I think we get the wrong, uh, the wrong things right all the time. Um, all the time. We're just worried about the wrong shit. Like what will people think? What size pants am I wearing? You know, d does this look good? Does the front of the, does the driveway have any weeds in it? Like who fucking cares? Uh, like just live your life. You know, we get so hung up on boring stuff and it's that keeping up with the Joneses and the appearances and, oh, it's really boring. Really boring. So one of the strategies you touched on um, at our pre previous uh, in, uh, interaction was the, the card system, once a month that you use uh, with your family. Um, can you talk to that? I'd love to, love to share that with our listeners as well. The card system on the rating cards or which I have a couple of cards? I don't know. On the one day a month where you get to, uh, you know, do what you, um, 
you actually want to do. So everyone gets to play um, the do what they want um, one day a month. So they have a day where they don't have to, there's no obligation. And so I just do not, I hate obligation. And I think part of being a human is there is obligation. You have to pay rent, you have to go to school, you know, there's rules, there's laws, there's stuff. But um, I think we need time off from obligation because obligation builds resentment. And so it's like have a day where you just do whatever the fuck you want, where you go, I'm going to have ice cream for breakfast. I'm going to drink champagne at morning tea. I'm not going to clean anything. I'm not going to make my bed. All the stuff that you think you should do, just don't. Um, don't visit someone you don't want to. Don't go to bed. Don't go to work. Don't Just do whatever you want, you know. And I think... People don't even know what to do with that. When I talk to people about that, they go, I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know where to begin. I'm like, right, well, write down. Imagine imagine your perfect day. What does your perfect day look like? Like, what time do you get up? What do you eat for breakfast? What are you wearing? Where are you? Are you at the beach? Are you on a farm? Are you, where are you? Like, and who are you with? And what would you do? And because and, we're all so limited, it's really boring. So I think, you know, really thinking about what would be your perfect day and What's your perfect breakfast? And my son said once, tacos. I'm like, let's do that. Does that build some sort of, you, you know, reward mechanism? Uh, there's that theory that the, the reason the French are so thin is because they always eat rich, delicious food. So they feel, feel fulfilled rather than just eating all the time. Um, do you think there's a, some kind of truth to that theory that if you've got this thing, this release, this moment, I'm thinking of that new series on TV called The Purge where you can go out and kill anyone you want uh, one, night a, one night a year. If they're annoying you, you, you can go do it. Uh, but do you think that the release that comes from that one day of obligation gets you through the other 29 or helps get through the other 29? We need to give ourselves like the space to, and, and it's not so much the doing it, it's even considering it. Like when I say, when I work with groups and I say, imagine if, what would you, if you were just wondering, like what would happen if you didn't turn up to work tomorrow? And I can say that to a thousand people in a conference room and their whole face light up and they go, and they're so happy. No, no, see, you didn't even do it. You just wondered about it and it was exciting. Like just the thought of going, not going to go to work tomorrow. Um, you know, I mean, that's why I'm self-employed um, because I do what I want when I want how I want. Um, and I'm actually unemployable, but then I eat work seven days a week, so it doesn't kind of work, but, but I'm, I love what I do. And so, but I think giving yourself the opportunity to wonder, we don't wonder enough about, I wonder what, you know, what, instead we just do what's in front of us and we eat, you know, sausages for dinner because they were on the special. Instead of, I love sausages, let's have sausages every night. Like, what do you, you know, and I just don't think we honour ourselves enough. I think it's about honouring what you like and we get made wrong for what we like. Um, you know, like it's wrong. It's like, why is it wrong? Oh, it's wrong. You shouldn't spend a whole day at golf. Why not? Like, if you love golf, go to golf. It's it's a really interesting uh, phenomenon. I've always loved the whole concept of hedonism. You, you know that that people pursue that as a as a lifestyle, right? That everything is the pursuit uh, is a hedonistic pursuit. Oh, I just love uh, it, and it's like the complete opposite path to enlightenment from the Buddhist path of suffering. You know, and I've got a friend who's and he's like, oh, Lisa, without the you know without the mud, there is no lotus, and I'm like, oh, fuck the mud. Like, can we just focus on the lotus? Like, do we have to just be in the mud and be suffering? And you know, I don't understand how suffering. I mean, I have suffered and have learned from suffering, so I do understand it. But don't invite it in; it's going to turn up anyway. Like, suffering's always around the corner. 
like there's always shit. And I think for me, I go when I make myself happy and I live the life that make fulfills me, I've got more air in my tires. So when something happens, I can bounce through that. But if you're already flat and you've got no air in your tires and something hits you, you just like, oh, you know, there's no yield. There's no bounce because you're just on such bare bones as it is that you don't have the bounce to be able to go, whoa, yeah, I just lost a client or, whoa, yeah, my kid just got sick or, you know, you've got, and you need bounce because life's hard. You know, life is definitely hard. Conditioning through life is having a seizure in this conversation. Like this, I've just been taught from the all boys school I went to as a good Catholic that everything that you do in life is, Bad. No, I think the conditioning and unfortunately all boys school Catholic, whew, there's triple conditioning on that, right? So um, I get that. I've got a lot of that in my family and I know what you're talking about. It's just enormous. And it's like everything that you want to do is wrong. <laughs> and you're like, oh, what does that do to your head? That And basically you spent your whole life being made wrong. And so it's very hard for you as an adult to now make yourself right. It's quite a journey. And I think beliefs is really important. Like I say to people, what do you believe? And they're like, I don't know. What do you mean? And I'm like, what do you believe about, you know, what will happen? You know, it's like, will you, will you go blind if you play with yourself? They're like, well, I was told that. <laughs> I'm like, do you believe it? They're like, what are the beliefs? Look, you, you need glasses, but you certainly don't go blind. <laughs> there you go. It's not that bad thing. The outcome's okay. But it's funny, like you look at all the different things and you think, what do you, what's your belief about that? What's your belief about when someone dies? What do you believe? I'm a funeral celebrant and I love funerals. Like I love them. And I'm always like, I always say to people at the funeral, so what do you think's happening to old Jim up there? What do you reckon, where do you reckon Jim's gone? And they're like, and some of them can't handle that conversation. They're just like, oh. Yeah, wow. I'd imagine you'd need a particular type of family to uh, bring you to a funeral, uh, Lisa. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. Um, but um, it's um, I really enjoy funerals because I think it's so important to honour people's lives, and I think um, you know, it's the last soirée. So, so who, if, if you could pick anyone in the world to be at your funeral and you know, be play that role for you, who would you pick? Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. I don't know. It would have to be someone who could, I, I have an absolute frustration with people who can't speak properly at funerals. You know, they're like, oh, now we're going to hear from old Bozo over here. And he's like, <clears throat> I'm like, can you just like deliver your message? And, and, and as a speaker, I'm so intolerant. Don't let people speak who can't like read it out for them. You know, get someone that's clear and concise and can deliver a message because people that can't speak, You'd hear them going around and around with the same sentence and it's, oh, it's painful. Um, so, yeah, it would have to be someone who was very good at speaking and someone who knew me very well um, and someone that had, actually would probably be um, Matt Church, my mentor and business partner at Thor Leaders. He um, knows me very well and is a very good speaker and I think he would probably pull that off. He has both sides. Um my husband doesn't speak at all, so there's no way he'd, he barely spoke at our wedding, so he certainly wouldn't speak at my funeral. I could get maybe my son, my eldest son, would probably pull it off. Um, but I think you've got to be able to speak and you've got to know the person. So that's my rule with funerals. I only do funerals for people I know. Um, it's, is there, it's interesting. I know my lawyer, she's a real force of uh, nature uh, in her mid-60s, and, and she got divorced a couple of times, so she thought the ultimate irony was to become a marriage celebrant. And now she's goes through this whole process. She's very 
bespoke and unique when you bring her to your uh, wedding. But she just loves it. The, the irony of marrying people and she's unable to sustain a relationship. Oh, I find I'm a marriage celebrant as well, but I find it really tedious because everyone's trying to do, they're full of anxiety. They're trying to be impressive. They've got all the wrong things, right? It's like, Oh my God, like they all look good, but no one's speaking. And it's like, it's such a cheesy arrangement. And I go, Oh, so what's the perfect marriage look like? You've seen a few. What, what would your advice be to a couple hitching for the rest of their lives to optimize the big day? I think just find someone who you actually like and who wants to make your life better because that's the point the point is you're supposed to contribute to each other's lives and it's like your job is to make them happy their job is to make you happy well not so much make them happy but contribute like I think you need to make yourself happy so it's not your job to complete someone else but it is your job to contribute to them and you know if you you see couples who they're actually nasty to each other like they're actually mean they're so done it's like, if you're done, get out. Don't stay in the room and be mean. Um, and I think, and you've got to want the same things. You've got to know what are we doing here and what's the plan. Um, and you can imagine I was very explicit when I met Mark. I was like, right, I'm going to be self-employed and I want four children. <laughs> I want to live in that house and I'm doing this. And he was like, okay. Um, and he was quite happy. Um, it's funny, I said to my eldest son the other day, I said, look, all you need, darling, is a girl to plan and you'll be fine because he's bumbling around. And now he's got a girl with a plan. He goes, Mum, she's got lists in her phone. I'm like, it's hard for people though. Like people are very good at that. I remember when I was young and people would say, oh, just be yourself. Like when you're trying to find a girlfriend, you want a, a great job, like just be yourself. And you'd be there going, I'm not sure I know who that is. I'm, I, I don't know. And, and, and I think people carry that their whole lives. And you think about getting into a marriage in your mid-20s and you think you know what you want and you think you know who you are, and then you go and make this lifelong commitment. Oh, it's mental. I think, obviously, you, it sounds like you you kind of had it figured out right from the start, and you're living that life still. But for so many people, don't you think they just lack that clarity? Yeah, and I think the problem is because the person you are, like when I was 26 when I got married, I'm a completely different human now, and I'm just very lucky. My husband is so tolerant. Um, was, I'm, I'm super lucky. Like I did, I selected, he's very calm, very tolerant. Um, but you've people get really threatened by growth, and so I know a lot of couples where one partner's been become very successful or grown a lot, and the other one's got really really either kind of really annoyed about it or really fearful of it. Um, and that's a problem too. And you've got to be prepared to grow. And I really, I was talking to my daughter about getting married and I said, I reckon just get a lease, just go three by three by three, just get a right to renew. And every three years go, <laughs> you reckon, are we good? Because I, I like the idea of that, but I think, you know, marriage is a pretty, we, I mean, as a happily married person, I say marriage is a very flawed concept. I mean, it's really an old school I didn't, I didn't want to marry. I, I, I've never heard the lease concept. I've never heard the lease concept before, but how much less, if you had to actually renew and be conscious about renewing, how much, you know I mean? Like a lot of time people go, you know what? I think it's time to move to another lease because of these reasons. And it'd be less stressful. There'd be less uh, financial rubbish going on, less, you know, damaged kids and families. And because of, you know, people have been 10, 15, 20 years with kids and it all turns ugly because that's the thing. It's the, the thing of concept of until death do you part. When they created that, you only lived to like 35 or 40. Exactly. And also there's no kind of exit clause because the only exit clause is to blow everything up. 
which is is very destructive, right? Instead of, and I really like Neil Donald Walsh, who's one of my favorite authors. He talks about how the word divorce comes from um, the Latin word to divert. And it doesn't mean to end, it just means to change. So you go, hey, cool. So we've been together 20 years. We did this cool family thing. Reckon we need to divert now. I'm going to hop off over here and, you know, get a girlfriend or whatever I'm going to do. And you should go over there and you can get a girlfriend too if you want. And we're still going to have a relationship. We're still going to co-parent. We're still going to be mates. We're still going to maybe own property, but we're actually going to divert into new relationships. And I love that concept. It's really free thinking, but, um, and a lot of people would never be able to handle that concept, but I go just actually sign a piece of paper at 25 to go, I'm going to stick with this human till I die. Like it's a weird, it's a very weird concept. And a lot of what you've talked about is exactly uh, the situation that I've, you know, met uh, my um, wife, Nat, uh, 20, when I was 25. Um, that was 21 years ago. Uh, last year, we made the decision to diverge and to do it in a very, very conscious way. Yeah. Well, and it, and it doesn't, doesn't it make, mean that it's easy, but it's been done consciously. Even the lawyer said, you know, I really commend what you guys are doing the way you're doing it. She said, because 99% of people don't do it the way you're doing it. You know, and it's, it's very amicable. It's very what's fair and equitable, what, what's going to work. You know, we've got two kids, you know, they're 12 and nine. Um, they've got a lot of time of influential period. I know what I went through, you know, ex- as a child experiencing my parents break up and, and that was very negative. And my brothers and other people's as well, I've seen around me, which has been a horrendous experience. It's like, do we want that? Or can we make something that actually works for us and the kids and actually, you know? Yeah, I've got two friends that have done the conscious uncoupling thing and they, they stayed living in the same house, moved into, and then and bought and now have bought houses um, in the same street. So the kids run up and down the house and they're like, and it's really their, their whole mission was we want to be an example of adults behaving well and not adults behaving badly. And, you know, kids are always watching and it's like, what are they learning? You're still a family. But you're still a family. It's just changed. And that's the thing. We go almost almost once a week, we'll go out together uh, for a meal. And that's normal. And it's like, this is, as you said, adults behaving like adults. You know, and so it's, it's a, and again, we've made some mistakes and I'm sure there's more to come and we're doing the best we can. But it is, again, about that view of what's going to make us happy is sending, releasing the hounds on each other and destroying each other for three years and the relationship with our kids and stuff is that going to make us happy or is us just taking responsibility for the last decisions we made for the last 20 years and going, maybe it's just not working. Let's, let's try it when we diverge, yeah. you know? And I think, you know, there's nothing wrong. It's not, uh, people look at all this stuff as failure. Like there's nothing, no failure when you go, if you had a business and you ran for 20 years and you created two smaller businesses, that would be such a raving success, which is what you've done. Right. Particularly if your business partner took all the profits, you know, and uh, did their own thing. <laughs> talking to other business partners, you know, two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, and, and I think it's about what's okay and what's not okay. And I really like um, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. They've got an amazing, um, they have a, or Jada has a thing called The Red Table, which is an extraordinary kind of um, Facebook podcast. And they talk a lot and they talk about all, all everything. And, and Will Smith said, I want you, I want the best for you. And if the best for you is another guy for a weekend, you should do that. 
And, and it's quite mind-blowing. Their, their relationship's really interesting. And he said, I am yours forever, and I want to be in your life forever, and I want to look after you and support you and love you, but I don't own you, and I want you to do whatever makes you happy. And it's like, wow. Like, it's it's very extraordinary. Yeah, that ownership and control so damaging in a relationship. Like, I'm in a relationship. Yeah, it's fear and control, and it's shit. Fear and control, like you can't talk to someone and you can't go, hey, I'm like, wow. You know, I think Mark knew from the minute he met me, there was no way he was going to be able to control me. And I don't operate out of fear. So I'm like, just don't, just don't. Um, and like, I don't play tennis and he loves tennis and I, he doesn't dance. So I have an extraordinary friend. I go dancing, we dance and I'm like, I dance with him. You can play tennis with him. I don't care, like whatever. And people just got to decide what they're okay with, you know, and what works. But it's, a, it's an important conversation. People don't have the, the important conversations. Oh, absolutely. Wow, super. I love it. An unorthodox existence. It's a shame that more people don't live that way. I think it's the conversations with themselves first. Absolutely. I think the conversation with yourself and then the conversation with others. I've got a nephew who's now living in a throuple. Um, so he's got two partners and they all live together and they're all very happy. And it's I'm just like, that's awesome and a lot. And how does that work? And I'm really intrigued by it. And he's like, it's awesome. And I'm like, wow, like, holy shit. And that's so funny about it. Like, Yeah, I've got a friend as well. He, he and his wife, uh, they divorced six years ago. They still live in the same house with their kids and they're both swingers. And they just do that stuff outside the house in, in their own life. But they look after the kids and our friends, really good friends. Otherwise, it's unorthodox, works for them. And they're, and they're so happy. Yeah. And I think we've got to stop all these rules and all this guilt. And, you know, when my um, third child, she was two weeks late being born um, and I was working as an art director and I had a photo shoot in the Gold Coast. So she was on a plane at four days old um, and I went through customs and the guy went, can you even do this? Like he's looking at her date of birth and the, the passport photo is just a ball of muslin. Um, I could have taken anything out of the country. And, he, and, and, you know, it was really funny. And everyone was like, you can't do that. I'm like, why not? And, you know, she didn't know. She didn't talk to any other four-day-olds and go, has your mother been on a plane? Like, what's going on? And and so no one knows. Like, whatever's normal in your world is your world. And I think we get so stuck in this, this conditioning piece of what we should do, you know, that you should meet someone and you should be with them forever and you mum should be at home or dad should be at home or whatever the bloody rules are. It's really boring. I mean, just do you. Like, work out what you want and what you don't want. And that's a really good starting point. And then find someone who fits into that mold. So that are kind of happy with that. Like, I'm just really lucky. My husband's really happy running around after kids. He loves that. And he doesn't really have big career aspirations. He's not interested in going off and doing his thing. So I'm like, awesome. That's, and he's really, he's like, yeah, you do it. I don't want to do it. So I'm like, good. I think if you had two career people, that might be a bit challenging. Or you had two people going, nah, I might stay home. That might not work either. Oh, that's awesome. Amazing, amazing insights, actually. It's funny having these conversations and your natural reaction is to go, oh, that's too much fun. Or, oh, hang on, that can't work that way. It actually, yeah, it's such okay. a response. Yeah, it's not okay. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. wrong. Yeah. And I can imagine Lisa sitting in a room with some people that I know and they would be like, there's no way. What you're you are mad. You can't do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm really happy to be mad, and I I like it. Um, I had a, a guy once I worked with sent a testimonial in, and he said you're completely bonkers, and I and I said that is the nicest thing anyone could ever say to me. I love that um, because it means I'm not, I haven't gone under the blanket, you know. And and I think I I love it when people go, oh, you can't do that, and I go, why? Why can't you do that? And and if you did, what would happen? 
And who told you you couldn't do that? Where did that come from? Where did that piece of information get planted in your brain that that's not okay? And it's like, hmm. Whose story is it? Is that your story or is that somebody else's? That's right. And, and 99% of the time, it's someone else's. Yeah. And, and when you turn, when you're old, you get to go, ah, it's not a story I believe in anymore. So, you know, um, I had a conversation with my father-in-law how I don't believe in sin. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? Wow. <laughs> I think there's such a thing. I think there's right and wrong, but I don't believe in sin. He's like, <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm not aware. My husband's always like, oh, please don't start that at dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure it's probably not the first time and I imagine they're probably not the last either. But it's fun. I just love it. And I have no judgment on people's beliefs. Like I don't care if you believe in bloody Jesus or Elton John or I couldn't give a shit what people believe in. I just am really interested in why do you believe in that? Do you really believe in it or is it a belief you were given? You know, um, so- don't impose that bullshit on others as well. I think that's the other key part. Like if, if you want to yeah. you know, live these structured, disciplined lives and a life of misery, you can't judge other people around you because they choose not to. Well, my husband's family were horrified when we had children and I said they're not going to be Catholic. And they were like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, look, I don't care if they want to be Catholic. If they want to be Catholic, I will I will do everything I can and support them. But to me, it's the same as going, right, maybe you will be a plumber when you grow up. That is your mission. Like, you don't get to bestow what someone... I'm like, I, I want these kids to choose their own beliefs. And if they want to be Catholics or Buddhists or Mormons, I couldn't give a shit what they do, but just do them, you know? Like, my youngest got really into God. He was like, Mum, I want to go to church. We were like... Okay, good on. So off we went and we took him to church and he had church shirts and he was very into church. He got very earnest and he loved it. And it was hilarious. And he joined a Baptist church. <laughs> My husband was like, <laughs> I was like, no, this is great. Like, look at him. He's having such a good time. <laughs> and, you know, he moved through it, but it was just hilarious. Um, and I think it's, I think you've got to let people explore different things. And I want my kids to choose their own beliefs. Um, I want them to, and we have conversations all the time about what do you believe? And my son, I don't believe any of that stuff you believe. I'm like, cool, you don't need to. It's not, you know, you you do you. Um, work it out. Yeah. Don't just believe what you got told when you were five. It's incre- in- incredible, incredible philosophy. So one of the things that, you, you know, clearly you've, you've learned and grown, as you said, when you, you, you know, got married back, 20, when you were 25 and things like that, you're a different version of yourself. Now that you've gone through, you know, a, a, a larger, you know, number of years of, of development and, and learning not to give a shit about what other people think and really focusing inward on your own level of happiness. If you were to go back and visit yourself, you know, at the age of one of your kids are now, what would you actually say to them? What, what sort of advice would you impart to them? What wisdom would you impart? Oh, just you're better than you think you are. And you've got this. Like, you'll be fine. You will be fine. I, t- I believe everyone's born with everything inside them that they need for their journey. And so I'm like, just if in doubt, go within and you will find the answer. You'll find the strength. You've got what you need. And and you get, I hate that home, you only get seen where you can handle, but you kind of do. So whatever's, whatever happens to you, I believe, I do believe that is meant to happen to you and it's like it's like my my best friend's husband dropped dead he was 46 didn't wake up 
And she goes, oh my God. So the morning he died, I'm standing in her kitchen and she's going, I, I can't, I can't do this. I, I said, you, you can. And she goes, well, how do you know? I said, cause you've got no fucking choice. <laughs> like you're doing this. You don't get any choice. You, you were doing this and you've done hard stuff and you, you have to do this. So there's no option. And I go, you know, everything hard that's ever happened, you've survived hundred percent of your hard days. You've done You've done it. And it's like, so why would you not survive the next hundred hard days? Like anything that happens to you, you can do this. You've got it. And if you just believe it, I just go, okay, I've got this. I don't know how I've got it. I don't know why I've got it, but I've got it. And then I unravel how I'm going to do it and what. But I think just to go, wow, okay, cool, got it. Now I've got to deal with whatever this thing is in front of me. Um, and I don't think we give ourselves enough credit. You know, it's like we can do really hard stuff and, and we are better than we think we are. Um, and our bodies are extraordinary. Our minds are extraordinary. If you look after yourself, you can do anything, you know, but, but not if you don't look after yourself mentally and physically. Like if you lose your mind, good luck. If you lose your body, good luck. So I think just looking after yourself and honoring your mind and body is really important. Um, but once you've done that, you go, yeah, I've got this. I can handle anything. Come on, man. No, that's awesome. You know? It's such such great insights. It's so refreshing, Lisa, to hear your uh, point of view. Now, if anyone's interested in reaching out to Lisa, uh, you can find her on lisaoneal.co.nz. And I tell you what, it's a veritable smorgasbord of help available uh, there, Lisa. So what would you say to our listeners, uh, Lisa, looking to make their first step towards a happy life tomorrow? What What's your hot hot number one tip just get off your ass and do something like just do something people just need to you know like the life you want is on the other side of what you're not doing um and it's like just do something do the hard stuff do the big stuff do something and if, if in doubt get up and move get up and do something send an email write something down draw a picture bloody tidy i don't know do what just do something i think people don't take enough action um yeah i'm an actionator i don't do much I sort of tend to do a lot of doing. I'm very do, 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 do. And it's like you get momentum from doing and you get fear from not doing. So just do. Love it. Awesome. Thanks so much again, Lisa, for taking time out of your busy day to talk to Sean and I. We really loved the opportunity to have a chat. You're very welcome. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you too. Thanks, Lisa. really appreciate it. This has been The View Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The View Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at viewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big, keep pushing, and one day you can become one of The Few. We'll see you next week.